Hey folks, welcome back to the Corax and Coffee Cast. I'm your host, Pete Steele. And I'm your other host, Rick Hendricks. And we are all about talking about playing tabletop games in public spaces. And we're all about bringing new people into the hobby, pushing back hard against the stereotype that gamers, especially board gamers and nerds, are asocial beings, and pointing out that games are really a social activity. And today, in episode six, we are going to be talking about the differences between people who play games and game enthusiasts and people new to the hobby compared to the identity of a gamer and what the differences are and similarities are and how to get people into gaming, at least get them to the table. So before we dive in on that, we want to give our behind the scenes people a shout out, our producer Keegan King, of course, and our game enthusiast consultant, Myth Shaw. But today we have a special treat because our social media manager and editor of all things, Sarah Vasa, is actually joining Rick and I today. Hey, Sarah. Hi, happy to be here. Happy to have you. Today we'll be making the distinction between gamers and people who enjoy playing tabletop games. There's at least as much variability among the group known as gamers and people who enjoy games as there is between those two groups, so making a distinction can be difficult from the outset, and there will be plenty of exceptions. So let's talk for a second about why this distinction matters, because, Rick, like you said, there is just as much variability within each of these groups as between the groups. Absolutely. So we're not trying to make an artificial distinction here and create in-groups and out-groups. But we do think there is an important distinction to be made here in order to better understand how to get non-gamers to the gaming table. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. And in order to do that, we're going to bring Sarah on and have her tell us how she sees this from her perspective. Because we're two self-described gamers, and having us talk about this on our own would be kind of ridiculous. So, uh, Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with tabletop games. Certainly. So, I guess to start, yeah, absolutely, I am. I don't consider myself a gamer. I would consider myself somebody who plays games. I grew up as an only child, um, so I didn't really have many opportunities to play tabletop board games. My parents certainly weren't into it. As an only child, I just had my own creativity to play with. Yeah. I remember asking you on point, I said, what if I were to introduce your dad, for example, to a tabletop game? How would that go? And you just kind of stared blankly at me and said, not well. He wouldn't understand the point. Yeah, he's much more of like a, he'll play cards, um, like Jin Rami or even Solitaire by himself. But yeah, he was also an only child. Didn't play games growing up either. And I really wasn't introduced to tabletop board games like other than Monopoly and the like until I was in my mid-20s. Huh. You know, I like games. Um, I'd be happy to play a game or two on a weekend, but it's not my go-to. It's not how I plan on filling my weekends or my after-work hours. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that I'm always much more willing to play games in smaller boxes because it feels far less daunting because I'm not familiar with the gaming community. And I have noticed that, yes, you are much more likely to play a game that is in a box that's the size of a smartphone, right? But I've also noticed that when I bring over a game that is larger, you know, your immediate reaction is, oh, I don't know if I can understand this. But then I say, hang on a second, let me just give you a brief rundown of the rules, and I pull it out. And after a turn or two, usually your response is, this really isn't that complicated. Yeah, I mean, of course, I can get 
hooked and interested in games that appear daunting from the get-go. But I think I just require a little patience, both from the other person who's teaching me as well as from myself, because I need the person who is explaining it to me to kind of explain it as we go. If you put this large game down in front of me and say, all right, we're going to explain all the rules right now, I'm going to be so overwhelmed. And I think that's a really good point in terms of understanding better ways to teach newcomers to the hobby how to play a particular game rather than just kind of giving them all the rules from a fire hose from the get-go. So Sarah, if you didn't grow up with games particularly, uh, what got you into gaming? Great question. I mean, traditionally, I grew up playing puzzles. I grew up playing sports. Really, I guess some friends in my 20s kind of brought me into playing more tabletop games. Um, And I have found that some games have similar components to those puzzles and those sports that I grew up with. There's something to be solved, um, something to be competitive about, or even sometimes something to approach with another person as a team. And I find that enjoyable. I find that something that I can connect to. So you mentioned specifically that if a game might have a puzzle element, you might be more inclined to give it a try. Or if there's a team-based element, you might be more inclined to give it a try. And when I hear something like that from a game enthusiast, I light up because I think, oh great, now I know what games to bring over next time we're going to play a game, right? To make you more invested and things like that. And I think that's really important for gamers to pay attention to in their non-gamer friends or game enthusiast friends to really kind of tease out those elements. With that being said, Um, What are some of your favorite games, tabletop games, that you have played? Yeah, I mean, I think you're bringing up a point, too, of bringing a game that you think I might have interest to me. Because, to be honest, I have not picked up a game on my own. I have only been introduced to games by others. Some of my favorites are, like, Ohanami, Solar Draft, Solar Storm is more of that uh, cooperative piece. Um, and Dominion. Like, I I really enjoy the card-based games. So if I were looking to bring you a game that you'd like to get into, uh, what would I bring? I mean, I'm not sure how to answer this again. Like, I feel like I'm still at the point where I'm still learning about games and what I like, um, how to figure that out. But there are many games that I have looked at in stores or even on friends' bookshelves that I want to play. And I can't figure out why. Um, Some of those include like Arkham Horror or Pandemic, um, games where there's something to be solved. Some that have like a story element like uh, Expedition to Newdale, but I have no idea if I would actually like any of those games. I think this has been some of the challenge for me in buying a game that you would be more willing to play because when you say Arkham Horror and Dimension and Pandemic and Expedition to New Dale, which is, has a lot more complexity to it, in my mind, those are really all over the place and there's a, it's really hard for me to find a common thread between those things. So I have to ask myself, okay, are you really still figuring out what you like? Or is there a kind of a golden thread that weaves throughout these games that you see that I don't? And if so, what is that? Or or what's going on here? You know, are do are you really interested in in different things? Just kind of trying to find a common language and understanding to get you to come back to the table, which is what I want most in my heart of sure. hearts. Yeah. yeah. So something else that I've asked you before, and I want to ask you here again, what games or game mechanics do you know you have no interest in or very little interest in? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, games that are large, uh, seemingly complex games, especially games that are going to take more than two hours to play. I don't really know if I often have the time that I can dedicate two or more hours to play a board game. You know, games that have, I don't know, you've called them dudes on a map games Mm -hmm. or uh, games where people are shooting each other. And that's the main objective. Like, I just, I'm not interested. Other games that you, I don't know, you've made fun of me for not being able to get into this is just games with miniatures. Oh, you're going to you're going to start a rumble on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get them. I don't know. What's I don't know what the point is of miniatures. And I have I've I've walked you into game stores where there've been a, you know, a miniature display of, you know, dozens or hundreds of miniatures expertly painted and I've said, "Hey, check this out. Check this out. Isn't this cool?" And your response has been I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can see the precision and the detail that has gone into painting them, but then they're just there. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You clearly worked very hard on that. Why? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I could come back to you, and I have, and say, well, there's this whole narrative story around them, and you can play all these different versions of a game with them, and it's artistry in its own right. But that's just me trying to convince you to see my point of view, which is ultimately really not helpful. Right. I mean, I think it's the same as, like, when I walked into your apartment and there's these Lego displays just sitting there. And and I know that's a whole different topic, but it's the same idea. Why is that sitting there? It's not doing anything but collecting dust. Sorry. Stay strong, Pete. Sometimes you have to dust. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, you know, this is so indicative of this barrier in communication. (laughs) And, you know, at at the end of the day, it's a different level of interest, perhaps, and you just got to call it what it is, a different level of interest in a particular hobby, and that's fine. And at the same time, it's, Sarah, you clearly have some level of interest in this hobby. It's not none. Then it becomes, well, how do we help help you explore that interest or let you explore that interest on your own, given that what we really want to do is get you back to the table playing games? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about some of the barriers you faced in trying to get into gaming? (laughs) Yeah, I think the first one that comes to mind is what the heck do I do when I walk into a game store? Um, I mean, that's where you go to buy games. And when I walk in, especially when I first started playing board games, I had no idea what to do. I mean, I look at a box and I think to myself, what am I reading? What does this even mean? I don't even know what section of the game store to go to because I don't know what I like and I don't know what I don't like. Um, So a lot of that needs to be me experiencing games first outside of a game store before the feeling so overwhelmed by all of the games in a room in a store. This is just so funny to me because when I walked into a game store, I say, okay, I'm home. Right. It's your personal, like, you know, fairy tale land, like Disney World sort of thing. But for me, it's just this totally different world that I feel out of place in. Right. Sure. So first, I have to say thank you so much for your default space for buying games is going to a brick and mortar friendly (laughs) local game store rather than going online. That's fantastic. We need more people like you. Well, I think with online, you can't pick them up and read the back of them in the same way that Like, I don't know how big the box is. And again, that's one of my things. You just have even less to go on. Exactly. And that, I I would say, oh, you like this tactile element of picking up the box, rotating it. 
And I would say, congratulations, you're a tabletop gamer, because you like that tactile element. But of nope. course, nope, that's just me <laughs> pushing an agenda. <laughs> um, but like Rick, you know, after a day at work, if I need to decompress, I'm like, I have to go by the game store. I have to go home and hang out with my people before I can transition to the rest of my day. And for me, it's more of like, if I plan to go to a game store, I have to prepare myself to do that. You have to gear up emotionally. Yeah. I mean, like, maybe that's partially introverted me. Maybe that's just, I'm not a gamer. I mean, I'm an introvert too, and I don't like being around people, but gaming is a very different thing for me. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think it's all that. And it's, of course, you know, you, you show, show me a room with a million introverts in it, and you're going to have a million different types of introversion, same with extroversion, you know? Introverts need to be around people sometimes, and extroverts sometimes need alone time. So you don't need to get into all of that right now. But <laughs> Sarah, I'm wondering, what would make you feel less out of place and more, maybe not at home, but at least comfortable in the game store? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think the first three or four times that I went to a game store, I I felt this overwhelming sense of dread that a employee would come up and talk to me. And I get that employees are supposed to be helpful and point you in the direction, but I find that people come up and ask you, what are you looking for? What are you interested in? And that's the question that I can't answer. So part of going to a game store with somebody else who is familiar with that world is to make sure that there's a buffer there answer those questions when somebody comes up to me if I look like a deer in the headlights because I really don't know how to answer those questions. It's this almost this awkward dance of like don't leave my side but also don't hover and over explain. Let me pick up those games and read the backs and if you have anything to add great I think you'd like that or I really like this game because of x y and z you might be annoyed by this other component just given what you know about me. Mm-hmm. I think also is like answering my questions and being patient and pointing me in a direction that I might like. Again, you've mentioned I'm a little all over the place because I'm still learning about what I like, but you know far more than what I know when I walk into a game store. So once you manage to get a game home, what are some ongoing barriers that can uh, ruin the experience for you? So besides the large box, right? Mm Mm-hmm. If I open up a game and there's just a million pieces, lots of different components, lengthy rule books without diagrams, like I just don't really know where to start. And I have that sense of overwhelm again that I had in the game store. I think the other piece is that the person who's introducing me to a game, whether it's a brand new game or a game that they're pulling off of their shelf, that person really needs to be familiar with the rules or at least re-familiarizing yourself before you put it in front of me, a new player. Because that will just add to my anxiety and sense of overwhelm if you're saying, I think it's this or I need to read through this and give me 30 minutes while you're sitting here at this table. My attention span is gone by that point. Gotcha. So learn the rules ourself and then try to assist others. Uh-huh. So Sarah, you're hitting on some rules discussions and topics that are on tabletop game forums all over the internet and have been discussed for decades and decades and decades. And we've talked about this a little bit before, just you and I, but very few, even hardcore gamers, very few 
love going through 50 pages of rules or 30 pages of rules. We do it because we want to play. Right, but that's the difference is you're going to have much more motivation to do that than a non-gamer. Sure, absolutely. And at the same time, gamers have these shelves of shame, many of us, where we'll buy a game we want again to do it. We see those rules and we say, some other day, let's go play a game that we already know. Much like readers, most readers have a lot of books on their shelf that we've never managed to finish reading. Sure. And I'm going to I'm going to disclose one other dirty little secret. Uh Oh, (laughs) not so dirty, which is that even expert tabletop gamers who play games constantly when they bust out a game, unless they are intimately familiar with that particular game, they are not going to get all the rules right. They are going to play through the game once or twice or three times and then, you know, check those rules and be like, oh, we are doing this wrong according to the rules. So there is this constant learning and relearning and re-relearning of kind of the finer minutiae of a given game's rules. And so this gets into the discussion of what is a game? Well, a game is not just its rules. A game has rules, but it can't just be rules because if I were to give you a game or sell you a game and just hand you the rule book, you'd be pissed because you'd say, where's the game? <laughs> so we don't need to go there right now. But but I, I do remember so many times where I've been playing through a game and saying, this doesn't seem to be resolving well. There's no incentive for me to actually do the thing I think the game's wanting me to do. And then I reread the rules and, oh, okay, well, <laughs> right. that makes much more sense. <laughs> exactly. And I think really the, the point here, the takeaway, is that to find bridges of connection between gamers and people who don't identify as gamers is that when you are intimidated by rules or when rules are a deterrent or when you have anxiety about if you're playing a game correctly, you are by no means alone. The gamers at the table are feeling their own version of the same thing. All of that being said about game rules, in a previous episode on the Corex and Coffee Cast, we discussed table rules, rules of etiquette, especially having rules of etiquette for a gaming group to help bring non-gamers into a gaming group and into the hobby and make them feel comfortable. Uh-huh, so, I'm familiar. Yeah, I'm wondering what you thought of some of the table rules we discussed. I mean, I think by and large, those rules make sense. There are some that feel a little nitpicky, and I think, as a new gamer, require flexibility. I think one that comes to mind is uh, a cock dice, for example. Um, If it's going to result in an argument that drives a non-gamer away, you as the gamer, as the host, you might want to drop it because you have to think about what the priority here is. Is it keeping these table rules or is it building connections, bringing people into the community? I think there's others too that like maybe this is just me enjoying food, but there's leniency coming with certain games and the rule of no food at the table sometimes. You and I have had this conversation when I've, you know, picked up a handful of M&Ms and like, all right, I'm ready to play. And you're like, not until you wash your hands and you're done eating those. And I'm like, well, what's... Like, I don't think M&Ms are going to destroy this game, but you clearly do. Um, and I think some games are need to be uh, incorporated with food, you know? And that just depends on the game. It depends on the setting. Food is social. Games are social. Gotta build those connections sometimes. And also, how long are you spending at the gaming table? Right. And I think those are really good points. And ultimately, every person who comes to the gaming table and every gaming group is going to have to have their own negotiations around this and figure out what works for them to, you know, maximize connection and eliminate as many as many barriers as possible. Sure. So, Sarah, any thoughts on being part of a game review company? <laughs> Oh, man. I think my first thought is, how the heck did this happen? 
I'm not a gamer. And so Pete mentioned like, oh, we're going to start this thing. I would love your help. And then I blink and I'm fully involved. And I'm pretty sure I said, sure, I can help. If you need my help every once in a while, I'll be there. But this has turned into far more frequently. I mean, honestly, I don't think I know what I'm doing more than half the time. But I think at at the end of the day, I really do believe in the purpose of Core Eggs and Coffee. I will point out that some of the games you've mentioned, I haven't played. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So you might have more experience here than you might think. Hmm. And there are definitely games that you and I have played, Sarah, you know, one-on-one or in groups where I thought, oh, I've got this. I've got this in a bag. I'm going to win. And you pull out ahead and just kill us all or beat me either by a wide margin or very close. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And I actually learned something from you. I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that strategy. That keeps me coming back, certainly. And I think, you know, talking about what your ultimate goal is in gaming, whether it be to win or to have that social connection, and everybody's going to have their own goals. Your goals are your goals. I mean, I would argue if your goals are just to annihilate newbies, then I'd say question what you're doing. But hey, (laughs) I can't control what people do. So... As a non-gamer, who plays games? And you play games multiple times a week. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to impose identity upon you. I'm just talking about behavior that I see. Mm -hmm. Um, Depends on the week, but yes. Sure. What recommendations do you have for exposing non-gamers to the world of gaming? Just having a games night. Making it casual. If you drink, bring some wine. Have some food. Of course, again, you know, depending on the games, as we said. But if that's a barrier, then bring a game to a dinner party for after-dinner fun. I think also making sure you bring more than one game. Preferably games of different genres or themes. Relatively low complexity with not so many pieces. Again, that's my big kicker of feeling overwhelmed. And also I think don't assume people will be able to tell you what type of games they're into if they have limited experience. So don't ask them before games night, hey, what type of games are you interested in? I don't think they'll be able to answer that question. Hmm. So again, it's kind of picking up a few different things for them and being able to explain the concepts, explain what the game is about, explaining the rules. Uh, Be familiar with all of the games that you bring for new players. I have definitely made that mistake, you know, as someone who plays lots of games, I have have made the mistake before of bringing a game that I was very enthusiastic about and wanted to play, but was not nearly as familiar with as I should have been. And it did not go well. No. <laughs> um, I mean, it went fine. They were enthusiastic to engage with me as being, you know, friends of mine. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do this thing. But the game was lurchy. They were not nearly as engaged as they could have been if I had prepared better. And think about, like, if this is their first experience playing games beyond Monopoly or whatever basic family game that they may have, that's not going to be a fun experience for them if it's lurchy and you are not familiar with the rules and you want to make sure that they're engaged, which means you have to be enthusiastic and familiar. Right. So let's shift gears a little bit, because Sarah, while we have you uh, on the podcast, we want to talk about what a gamer is what a gamer is not. And again, there's just as much variation within this group as between this group and other groups. So we want to be very careful with this and not 
we want to dispel stereotypes and talk about how much diversity there is and not reinforce stereotypes. But at the same time, there are these myths about gamers and there are also some traits that gamers typically have in some quantity versus people who tend to not be gamers. Yeah, let's talk about some of the myths that we see coming in about gamers. Probably the first one that comes to mind, folks tend to think gamers are asocial, that they're not very good at talking to people, and that they don't necessarily have any interest in being part of society. I really don't think that's fair. And I I think, in fact, you have a lot of gamers who hide. So the pool of people who identify as gamers is going to be larger than the one that most people see and judge gamers by. Right. And I certainly have met plenty of gamers who are fairly awkward. Mm -hmm. And I've also met plenty of people who have never picked up a board game who are awkward. Sure. (laughs) And I get that this is all anecdotal. And if we want to conduct a study, we could do that. Um, That's not really the point here. I think another gamer stereotype is that gamers have a poor grip on reality and have to escape into a fantasy realm in order to cope with life. And sure, there are some that are like that, and there are many others, the vast majority, who do not exhibit those traits. And I think a lot of people suffer with the need to escape reality, and there are various ways you could go with that, depending on your sort of natural proclivities. Absolutely. I think some people binge watch TV shows for that purpose. Exactly. So it's not particularly a gamer thing. It's a sometimes life is really hard and you need somebody to step in and help you out with that. And I think that's more of a big human thing that comes down to, ooh, there's something wrong with you. Oh, you play games? That must be it. Yeah. Another stereotype we see a lot is that gamers live with their parents in their basement. A lot of musicians live with their parents, too. It's just, it's... it's... Yeah. In this economy, a lot of people live with their parents. It's, uh, it's rough. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I want to go play a game, not talk about that. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. And going along with that, you have this this stereotype of poor hygiene where people don't wash. And again, that's, uh, I think more of a human thing. Yeah. That just, just ties into the whole asocial thing as well. You know, I think also there's a stereotype that gamers are just kind of generally are odd people. And I would say, yes, some gamers are in fact kind of odd people. I've also met odd rock stars, odd lawyers, odd engineers, odd sales associates, odd doctors, and the list goes on and on and on. Frankly, I think most people are odd and just hide it. (laughs) I think being enthusiastic about going to your job and liking the thing that everybody else likes is more a form of role-playing than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think a bunch of people fit into this stereotypical gamer myth who are not, in fact, gamers, right? Like we were saying. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess growing up, I was friends with nerds who were gamers. And Seattle friends, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) The stereotypes are these extremes. For someone who's highly invested in a hobby or an activity that prefers to be on their own and be in their own world without others, that doesn't need to be gamers. That could be a woodworker. You know, it could be somebody who is really into their own thing. But again, that's the weekend version of them. You would never know. Mm -hmm. Most people, just as a survival mechanism, are able to turn that off and engage looking very normal to the extent that normal is a thing. So anyway, that's a little bit about what a gamer is not or about what 
doesn't define a gamer. So let's talk a little bit about what a gamer is. In my mind, what really defines a gamer is that most gamers are really interested in the future of gaming, expanding the player base, really excited over new things that we hope will come out one day, feeling strongly about rules and the elements of games we want to see more of. Most gamers are really likely to ask the question, when am I going to get more time to game? I mean, that's definitely me is when can I get another game to the table? When can I hang out with my gaming group again? When can I find more time to do this? Sure. This hobby that I love so much. When can I find time to balance this character that I'm working on? Exactly. And that leads into metagaming. So for a non-gamer or game enthusiast, someone who just enjoys playing tabletop games when they happen to play them, they come to the table and they play the game or the games and then the game ends. And then for that person, more often than not, that experience is over. Maybe they think about the game they played afterwards a little bit in their own head, or maybe not. But for a gamer, <laughs> they will analyze and reanalyze and re-reanalyze that game in their head, and they're going to want to talk about it often. And they're going to want to talk about how that game could have gone differently, how they could have played better or worse. And that might just be like with their gaming group and friends who were part of the game or not part of the game. They might go online to be part of an online forum or community there to discuss the game or other games. For a gamer, the gaming experience is not isolated to the time playing the game at the table. Absolutely. Yeah, playing a game at the table is just one form, one type of engaging with the game and the gaming community for a gamer. Yeah, I've noticed that after a game ends, Pete, you will sometimes say, you know, let's talk about that. Let's talk through that. What did you like about that? What didn't you like about that? What was going on in that game for us? And I think the first few times you did that, I was like, I, why are we talking about this? Like, game's over. Time to go enjoy the rest of our day doing other things. Um, I think it's really hard to sometimes engage with that as a non-gamer. So I, I definitely see that a lot. Uh, I see gamers consuming and even creating gamer culture content, you know, again, running online and going to the forums, talking about rules and lore and all of that sort of thing, really getting a deep dive on it. I also see gamers practicing real life skills like empathy and public speaking and negotiation through gaming. There's a lot of psychology that can come pretty close to the surface while you're gaming, while your motivations are sort of artificial and imposed on you by the game. And a lot of gamers think about that extensively and come up with some some interesting takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think the two of you and Keegan are empathetic people. Hi, everybody. Keegan, the producer here, to remind you that I do not, in fact, have as much empathy as Sarah seems to think I do, although I appreciate her mentioning it. Back to the show. With critical thinking skills who happen to really enjoy games, talking about games, going to game stores in your free time, doing those sorts of gamer things. I noticed that uh, you did not mention going to conventions. <laughs> well, it's been a pandemic as well, so. That's true. But I also just point that out, for some gamers, conventions are such a huge part of the hobby. And for non-gamers that I've talked to, some are like, oh, there are board game conventions? That's a thing? Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing a few years ago. Right, exactly. And the fact that you didn't mention it, I was like, oh, there's this, this, this disconnect. I think, honestly, the only convention that I'm most familiar with is Comic-Con, right? And it's like, sure. that's a world of itself. And there's certainly overlap 
between mm -hmm. tabletop games and comics, but not for everybody. Well, and it's funny. I, I went to a Ren Faire one time, and it became, for me, a gaming conference where I got taken into LARPing. Hmm. There were plenty of people who went to that Ren Faire who did not end up LARPing. So... Let's shift and let's talk about some common, but certainly not universal traits of gamers. And we've alluded to a few of these already, but I think it's important to call some of these out a little bit more specifically. I think gamers have a certain type of emotional fortitude, and certainly other people have the same type of emotional fortitude as well, but I really see it in gamers in that playing a game, tabletop or otherwise, to be honest, but playing a game is really about solving problem after problem after problem after problem and learning through failure over and over again in rapid succession and very often a gamer will feel that crush of defeat either being defeated in the game in its entirety or in a round or whatnot and persevering through and trying to learn from their mistakes or lack of mistakes in the moment and forging ahead and one could say oh well you're taking the game too seriously and yes certainly that can happen for some people but if you're really emotionally invested in this hobby that you love and in this game, you're not taking it too seriously. You're just emotionally invested and charging forward even when you're losing. Yeah, I think that happens with sports, too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And one of the advantages of gaming and of sports is there's always another round, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think this is true in life as well. Most of the time, you have another shot to get it right. Yeah, the stakes are fairly low. And... That skill that you develop as a gamer saying, okay, that round didn't go so well, let's dust ourselves off and get to the next interview, can be very helpful. So sort of going along with that, I find that a lot of gamers are pretty dynamic. They're willing to change up their strategy, and they're willing to see things as having that sort of low-stake interaction of really badly that round. Let me try winning with this other mechanic. And just sort of seeing how it goes and, and changing up your strategy despite the fact that you may not want to. And related to that, I think gamers can employ a type of efficiency in that they tend to think in very systemic, mechanistic ways, trying to find the fastest or best route to victory. Now, sometimes you're just exploring the possibility space and kind of wandering around inside of the rules, figuring out, oh, what does this do? What happens if I overturn that rock or kick this thing or blow on this other thing, right? And so that's one mode of being, but this other mode of being is how do I get from point A to point B in order to win or in order to achieve my goals, whether it be winning or not, and being able to think in creative ways outside of the box in order to get there. Sure. And part of that is rules testing. So, for example, in video games, I often will try and jump off a cliff just to see if that's a thing. And I do the same sort of thing in, in board games and tabletop games as well to say, what are the rules here? So that I can then use them more efficiently. Another thing that I see a lot is that gamers tend to be pretty empathetic. A gamer has to be able to push, place themselves in the shoes of their protagonist. You have to be able to take on these, again, these artificial goals that the game is giving you and really make them your own in order to find a good result. And another part of finding a good result is trying to put your, yourself in the mind of your opponent. Okay, so, so my opponent has these goals constrained on him. So what is he going to try and do next? And that can definitely transfer out into the real world. It sure can. I think it does very often. But for me specifically, I think talking about 
a game after the game is played helps me better understand the perspective of my opponents and have more empathy for what they were trying to do, which just helps me be not only better at playing that particular game, but also helps me understand who are these individuals as people. Finally, I would say I think gamers have a type of creativity, almost almost childish creativity, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of loath to say that. Let's go with childlike. Yes, childlike is much better than childish. Childlike creativity. They're constantly, they're insisting that they win, and by win I don't mean win the game, because winning can just be discovering something new about the game. But they insist that they discover something new or learn something new in unexpected ways in a game space all the time. And I think some of the best moments in gaming are when all the gamers pull back and just have a laugh and be like, you know what? That either worked brilliantly, like that worked brilliantly, or that didn't work at all. That's awesome. We learned something new. Let's try again. Hearing all of these traits that many gamers have, yeah, I, I've seen that. I think I've my perspective just maybe in life is that well-rounded human beings in general, gamers or not, have these traits. Like, this is not specific necessarily to gamers. Oh yeah, absolutely. There are many people have these traits, for sure. And maybe I just see them in gamers because I like hanging around gamers. Sure. So let's get back to this question of why we make a distinction between gamers and people who play games at all. Personally, I think that managing expectations can be really helpful for gamers. Understanding that this person who isn't a gamer isn't going to want to talk to you about about the rules for 20 to 30 minutes and how it's really interesting that this mechanic lets you do that. This is something that you experience elsewhere in life as well. A lot of people are going to be perfectly happy to share a glass of wine with you, but they have no interest in joining your wine tasting club. This needs to be okay and you need to know who you're talking with so you can not annoy them. And gamers are always talking to each other about how do we bring new people into the hobby? I don't have enough people to play with. I want to increase my um, gaming group or start another gaming group so I can play more and so on and so forth. And I think those are great goals, but the goal should not be, cannot be, to turn non-gamers into gamers. That's a fool's errand. The goal should be to get people to the table. If they turn into gamers at whatever level and way, that's fantastic, but that is their journey that you can't impose upon them. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think the bottom line is that respect piece and to love people the way that they are. If they like something, capitalize on it. But you can't push people if they aren't into it. I think that will really just result in resentment. What I'm hearing is you don't want to lose a friend by being overbearing about turning them into gamers. Enjoy your friend and where they're at. And it needs to be clear that you know people can be part of the gaming community without investing a ton of effort into it. If they want to play a game once a month or every six months, and you know that, it's like, hey, three, six months ago, we played this game. Here's another game similar to that that you might like. You want to give it a whirl and see what they say. And there are a lot of nice modern games that can bring people sort of into the deep waters without requiring a whole lot of effort on their part. Uh, and I think that's, a, that's an exciting trend that we're liking here. Another thing is, since gamers generally are the ones designing games, it's important for them to remember to reach out to people who aren't already deeply entrenched in gaming. Your sole audience can't just be the people who are already playing your competitor's game 
and discussing it, there's a whole another pool of people who'd be happy to play the game, but don't want to discuss it all the time and don't want to wrap their brains around 30 pages of rules. Mm-hmm. And if you put a soon-to-be gamer who doesn't know they're soon-to-be a gamer at the gaming table, they will find the meta on their own. Nobody taught me how to put an immovable rod inside a bag of holding and throw it off a bridge. That came to me naturally over time. I figured that out. Absolutely. The goal is to get people to the table playing games. If they are going to become gamers, it will happen. And don't even go into it trying to make your friends like you. Just play games with people. Well, hopefully your friends like you. Sorry, I know that's not what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. All right, folks, that's pretty much all for us uh, today. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this was fun. I hope to be back for some episodes in the future. That's great. We'll be looking forward to it. All right. I'm your host, Pete Steele. And I'm your other host, Rick Hendricks. Like and subscribe if you like this podcast. Please do visit our website at www.coraxandcoffee.com. And please consider supporting us on Patreon or through our merch store. Take care. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Seven takes across, like, eight or nine segments. My coffee is cold with all this preamble. They they just couldn't get an idea out. I have hit record. Yeah, I got it. <clears throat> I got it. But I did it. I freaking did it, you guys. This is a fun episode. We should totally just delete this and start over, but I want Keegan to have all this lovely banter. <laughs> Honestly, I'd be more humble, but, like, who needs that? Jerks. Jerks need that. Yeah, three people and a cat. We're doing really, really well. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing really good. We're doing really good right now. I'm ready. You're ready to go. All right. Jerks who take a bunch of takes do one simple thing. Three hour episode, twenty minutes of actual content. <laughs> and if you had heard the things I heard, actually, you know what? You can. Here you go. Speaking of trying to help, are we ready to go again? Gross. Super gross. I just, I totally forgot what our podcast, our episode was about. Only a couple minutes. (laughs) You see what I have to put up with? It's just stuff like this and swears. The whole time. Swears coming from your bodacious hosts of the Corax and Coffee cast, Pete Steele and Rick Hendricks, with a special guest, as you heard, Sarah Vasa. Sarah is also known as Sarah the Destroyer. Sarah the Incredulous, and Sarah the person that usually sits just to the right of Keegan at the kitchen table when we're all hanging out together. It's not as punchy as the other ones. Music, audio production, and void screaming brought to you by me, Keegan King. Thank you to our contributor, Ms. Shaw. If you liked this podcast, good, you're correct. You may also enjoy our written game reviews, unboxing videos, print and play games, and a bunch of other fun stuff at coraxandcoffee.com. You can also support us through the Anchor slash Spotify link at the inside the show notes. You can buy stuff from our merch store or support us on Patreon in whatever amount you think our content is worth. The quote of the week, stay curious, stay weird, stay kind, and don't let anyone ever tell you you aren't smart or brave or worthy enough. Corax and Coffee. Tabletop gaming caffeinated.